You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Right now, though, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, where we're going to be at today. Matthew chapter 13. And the title of the message is Hindering Faith. Hindering Faith. Do you know that God has a plan for your life, and that plan includes your faith to be thriving, to be growing, to be flourishing, to be evergreen with brand new insights about Jesus and about the walk that he, walk of faith that he has for you. Our God is an infinite God. And he wants our knowledge of him to be ever growing, ever expanding. And yet there are some things that will actual, actually hinder our faith. And uh, there is a faith that we can have that is actually not a growing faith, but a hindering faith. And that's exactly what we're going to find in our chapter today that we're looking at. And we'll look at what hinders faith, what causes hindering faith, and uh, how to uh, work around that and grow so that we're not hindered in our walk with the Lord. Uh, Here's the stage of what's happening. We just finished a series. Jesus has been speaking in parables. A parable, if you haven't been here with us, is a earthly story with divine meaning. It's a story that we can relate to that teaches us about the church age, about God's kingdom here on earth, about being a Christian in this world. And Jesus taught, he gave seven kingdom parables. And then he finished with an eighth parable that said, every scribe instructed in the law is like a house owner, like a a overseer who brings out of his treasure both things old and new. And we learned after Jesus taught these seven kingdom parables, here's what he was telling the disciples. I want you now to take these things that you've received, these things that I've taught you, and I want you to go give these truths to others. I want you to go, and and, and it's so cool that God wants us to partner with him in doing the work of the ministry. God wants you to do that as well. That's not just my job as the pastor. The reason we call this church the Mission Church is because God has an a mission, an assignment for all of us. And life gets exciting when we begin to walk in that. But there are things that hinder that. And here we're going to see that exact same thing happening. Jesus spoke in these parables and he was teaching up at the Sea of Galilee. And now he comes back to his hometown and... Uh, uh, things are a little different than um, than he might like, right? And so let's jump in. We're at Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to pick it up in verse 53. Matthew 13, verse 53. And let me pray as we do. Lord, we come before you, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, people here on all different planes of the spectrum and their knowledge about you. Some just coming to you for the first time. Lord, please speak to them. Meet them where they are. Some who are biblical scholars. And Lord, uh, we ask that you would speak to them and meet them where they are. Lord, we know that wherever we are, you want us to grow and know you deeper and more intimately. For you're an infinite infinite God. And Lord, we can't wait uh, to hear what you would speak to your church today. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Verse 53. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, these stories of the kingdom, that he departed from there. That would be from the Sea of Galilee. Verse 54. And when he had come to his own country, to his own people, to where he was born, to where he was raised, his own country was Nazareth. Nazareth is about 15 to 20 miles from the Sea of Galilee. From the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, if you're there, it's about a 15-mile journey to Nazareth. Up at the northern side, it's about a 20-mile journey to Nazareth. And so Jesus goes from the Sea of Galilee, where he's been teaching, and he comes now to his own country, to where he grew up, to where he was a boy. 
to where he went to school, to where he was when he got his first job, when he, uh, you know, uh, took out the trash and all those kind of things, goes to his home country, to his own people. Verse 54, and when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Yeah, you might want to circle the words in their own synagogue. Jesus did what he would always do. He would go, he's doing what we're doing now. It's so amazing. 2,000 years ago, it was happening. And here we are doing the same thing, gathered together as, not a synagogue, but as a church, same thing, gathering together to study and learn about God, to have fellowship together, to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I so love how it works when we gather together because even though we are an eclectic group, we come together and there is unity. There is a bond. You have gifts that I don't have and I have gifts that you don't have and she has gifts that you don't And together it works together like a tapestry of a family, of a body that is amazing. During first service, I was uh, in the prayer meeting and just listening to the, the prayer team pray. We have a prayer team that prays at 8.30. I was listening to them pray and I just think, Lord, so amazing. At the same time, there were people serving coffee and donuts. At the same time, there were people carrying chairs and setting up chairs. At the same time, there was a bunch of Sunday school teachers who had prepared all through the week to teach your children about the goodness and about the love of Jesus Christ. And together, we all come together and we're a family. We're a body. And that has been happening for thousands of years because it's God's will. It's God's will. And good on you today for being in church. You are in the center of God's will by being here. It's what Jesus did himself. And so here we see Jesus going and he goes in and he's speaking in their synagogue. And they're astonished and they said, wow, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, these are his biological brothers, James and Joseph and Simeon and Judas and his sisters, these are his biological sisters, are they not all here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And these next words are curious to me. You would think you would, they would say, and so they were thrilled. And so they were so excited. And so they were in awe. But it's not what it says. Read it with me. Look what it says. And so they were, say it with me, what? Offended. Offended? They were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and except in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of unbelief. Some of you might have experienced this. Oh, you go to church and, you know, you lead a small group. You're part of this. You're in a prayer group. You're with brothers and sisters. But you might have some family members who look at your faith and they go, look at him. He thinks he's so holy. He thinks he's so righteous. All oh, the Christians here, right? Uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his own house. Jesus experienced that. Uh, I, I won't ask for a show of hands. Oh, I'll ask for a show of hands. Why not? How many of you have a family member who thinks you're crazy because you're a Christian? Yeah, take a look around. You're in good company. You're with Jesus, right? Uh, that's what was happening here in Jesus' house. Uh, Jesus has been preaching through Galilee all these parables. He comes home to his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, the book of Mark tells us, Mark chapter 6 tells us, Jesus was actually teaching on a circuit. He would go here, and then he would go here, and then he would go here, and then he'd come back here and teach again, and he'd come back here and teach again, and come back here and teach again. And now he comes back to Nazareth, and his own family won't hear him. His own town won't hear him. They say, oh, that can't be the Messiah. I mean, yeah, I don't know how he's doing all this stuff, but I know him. I watched him learn how to kick a soccer ball, or I watched him learn how to ride a bike, or I watched him get a job with his, you know. 
I know him. His brothers are here and all these kind of things. And they were offended at him. They were offended. My first point that I want to bring to us is this. A wrong view of Jesus will hinder his mighty work in our life. Therefore, it's so important that we have a right view of Jesus because a wrong view of Jesus will hinder his mighty work in our life. Do you know that God wants to do a mighty work in and through your life? And in order for that mighty work to happen, well, you, we have to have, I have to have, you have to have a right view of Jesus. And his family didn't. They were offended at him. Why? Because he did not meet their expectations. He did not fit who they thought he was. How could he be the Messiah? I know him. There's no way. And they were offended maybe at the fact that Jesus grew up in poverty. Can't be the Messiah. Maybe they were offended because of the lack of his formal education. Maybe they were offended because he had no religious status. He wasn't a scribe or a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Or he wasn't ordained by the religious institutions. Maybe they were offended because he was a poor working man. They were offended. Very interestingly, by the way, I'm sure Jesus taught in the synagogue at Nazareth a bunch of times. But it's recorded two times in Scripture that he taught at Nazareth. And both times that he taught at Nazareth, guess what happened? They were offended. They were offended. Encourages me a little bit. They were offended at his teaching. Jesus broke the mold of their understanding. He did not fit or meet their expectations. No, that can't be the Messiah. He didn't fit their worldview or their ideology. And you say, Dave, why are you telling me all this? Here's why. Because like them, we have expectations that we place on Jesus of what we think Jesus is and what we think he isn't. We have our preconceived ideas that we bring to the table. I do. You do. And all of us do. And what has to happen is those preconceived expectations and ideologies have to die. And we have to then see Jesus as he really is. And it's an ongoing process. There's a progressive revelation to those who walk with Jesus. I knew him at one level one day. The next day he wants me to know him at a greater level. And if I am only holding on to the level that I had last week or last year, I am going to be, am going to be stunted in my spiritual growth. Jesus is infinite. And no matter how well you know him, you don't know him well enough. And he is always leading us to deeper waters. And a wrong view of him will hinder his mighty work in our life. Therefore, we want to make sure that we see him as he is. To some, Jesus is a good teacher that I come to on Sunday and, oh yeah, I love Jesus, love Jesus, grace and mercy, praise the Lord. And it's not much more than that. We go through our week and as soon as church is over, the next words out of our mouth are, where do you want to go for lunch? And that's about all of Jesus that we have in our week. And that's good. That's a good starting place. But Jesus would say, I want to take you now a little bit deeper. I want to go to work with you on Monday. What? You want to go to work with me Monday? Yeah, actually, I want to be your boss on Monday. What? Yeah, actually, I want to, do, I want to lead you in how you talk to the person sitting next to you and how you close that deal and how you orchestrate the meeting you're going to have. I want to lead that part of your life. Well, I thought you were just church Jesus. No, no, no. No. I'm work Jesus too. And again, a wrong view of Jesus will hinder the work that he wants to do in our life. Many think that Jesus wants us to be, he's, he's Jesus that wants us to be nice to everybody and just love everybody. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. 
It's kumbaya, Jesus. And we think, hey, it doesn't really matter. You know, you don't have to be a Bible fanatic or anything. Just, you know, just, just be nice. Just love people. You know what? You couldn't be more wrong. That's just wrong. Because love has a very specific will. I've been married to my wife for 30, 33 years, maybe, or 34. One of those, uh, speaking of offended. And you know what? I have a very specific will about what our relationship is going to look like. Not everything is okay with me. And God loves you. And here's what the Apostle Paul would say in the book of Philippians. He says, oh, this is my prayer for the church because he knew God's will. He says that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. With knowledge and discernment. That means that some things are right and some things are wrong. And it's not just being nice to each other because sometimes love has to say really tough and difficult things. If someone is doing something wrong, it's going to harm them. You don't just say, hey, that's okay, tolerance, whatever you want to do, no problem. Just leave me alone. That's not love at all. And Paul says, I pray that your love would grow with all knowledge and discernment, that you'd be able to approve the things that are excellent, that you'd be able to discern the things that are good and meaningful and right, and you'd be able to bring them into fruition in the world by the way you live your life. And so this is his will for us. And a wrong view of Jesus will hinder that mighty work from happening in our life. Jesus is immutable. That simply means he does not change ever. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unmutable. He is unchangeable. He is not a chameleon. And Jesus, I hate to tell you this. I hate to tell you this. I hate to tell me this. Jesus will not be who I want him to be. Oh, I so often wish I could control Jesus, but Jesus will not be who I want him to be. He will not be who Trump wants him to be. He will not be who Kamala Harris wants him to be. And he will not be who the Pope wants him to be. By the way, did you see that the Pope changed his views on marriage this week? Uh, Jesus didn't change, he's immutable. He's unchangeable, and we must have to, we have to come to him for who, or who he is. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the various portraits of Jesus that have been made through the ages, right? In the '60s, it was hippie Jesus. Do you remember hippie Jesus? The long flowing robe and the long hair and the sandals, and it was hippie Jesus. Today we have Hollywood Jesus, right? You know who Hollywood Jesus is? This handsome, good-looking guy looks like Brad Pitt with a robe on, you know? Looks like this, right? This is Hollywood Jesus. Yeah, let's make him like we want him to look. I'm told the black community has black Jesus and the Asian community has Asian Jesus. And, and we got Jesus like we make Jesus like... It's been said, God made man in his image and then man returned the favor, Right? Here's the point. We can't make Jesus in our image. He's unchangeable. He's unchangeable. He is the sovereign creator of the universe. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we cannot change him. By nature, we try to make Jesus fit our own understanding. And again, here today, there's many different understandings about Jesus. But Jesus won't change Jesus will not be who we want him to be. Our job is to get ourselves lined up with who he really is and what he's calling us to do. Jesus is not your servant. You are his servant. And when we get that in order, all oh, explosive things happen in our life. Life really begin, begins to get meaningful. Here's the problem. Wrong beliefs about Jesus hinder real faith in Jesus. Wrong beliefs about Jesus hinder real faith in Jesus. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds complacency. Familiarity breeds routine. 
And what had happened is, is the familiarity of their knowledge of Jesus breeded complacency and routine and yeah, yeah, I know who that is, Jesus. And they missed out who he really was. And can I tell you something? The same danger that Jesus' family faced is the same danger we face as people who come to church every single week. Oh yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, Matthew 13, yeah, I read that, yeah, good, yeah, yeah, good, good, good. And familiarity will breed contempt and complacency and routine. You know what I have found out in life? It is way easier to bring an atheist to Jesus than a fake Christian to Jesus. It's way easier. You take someone who thinks they're fine with God, who isn't fine with God, and it's very difficult to get them to see the real Jesus. Jesus said it this way, profound, profound truth. Uh, you might want to write it down because it takes meditation. He said, if the light that is in you is darkness, it's the greatest of darkness. In other words, if you think you, God is represented by light, if you think you have God in your life, but it's really darkness, it's the greatest darkness you could ever be in. I worry far less about the alcoholic on Skid Row or about the, the person shooting up drugs or about the prostitute. Uh, I worry far less about them coming to Christ as I do the person who was born in a Christian house that doesn't have a genuine relationship with Jesus. Jesus, if you look at his ministry, his biggest problem wasn't with the prostitutes. It wasn't with the drug addicts. It wasn't with the poor that were homeless and were on skid row. No, no, no. It was, his biggest problem was with who? The religious people. The religious people. His biggest problem was with those in his hometown, with those he went to church with regularly. And so we need to be careful. Here's the question at hand then. Who is the real Jesus? If he's not this one that they knew, who is he? If he's not this one they grew up with and they watched him grow and yeah, he's a good guy and yeah, he's a good teacher and yeah, he's really nice and yeah, he's really moral. If he's not that, then who in the heck is he? Well, he's the Messiah. And the Bible has a lot to say about him. Uh, let's look. I want to take you somewhere. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, I'll give you a minute to find your spot there. Colossians chapter 1. If you don't know where Colossians is, please use your table of contents in the beginning of the Bible and find it. Colossians chapter 1. And the reason we're turning here is to look at who is the real Jesus. Who is he? Colossians chapter 1. I'll give you a little bit of time. I still see a lot of pages turning. Colossians chapter 1, find your way to verse 15. Colossians 1, verse 15. If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. All right, let's read together. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Do you know God is a spirit? He does not have a form. He is a spirit. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Uh, we're going to come back to that word. It doesn't mean he was the first one born. We'll come back to it. Uh, for by him, all things were created. You can circle the word all. All things were created. Things that are in heaven and things that are on earth. Things visible and things invisible. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, all things were created through him, and all things were created for him. Do you know what that means? You were created by him, and you were created what? For him. He created you because he delights in you. He created you because he wanted to pour his love upon you. He wants you to know how much he loves you, how great and majestic are his ways, that you would be in awe of him and in turn, one day, love him back. He is the creator of all things. All things were created through him and all things were created for him. He created billions of creatures on the earth. Such diversity of creation. 
My wife and I have been watching some of these uh, uh, Planet Earth 2. I mean, the photography is amazing. Oh, I encourage you, just get lost in the splendor of God's creation. It is magnificent. Such brilliant design. And the ecosystem so incredibly designed that every part plays an important role. And if you even take out the smallest microorganism, it destroys giant things over here. In other words, you are important in God's kingdom. You are a part of his whole picture. And he has a work that he wants to do in and through you. This is Jesus. This is who he is. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. He is before all things. And in him all things consist. He is before all things. What does that mean? It means he is eternal. He is eternal. You say, well, well who was before him? Nothing was before him. He always was. There was nothing that was ever before him. You say, well, how could that be? It's beyond our comprehension. We live with a finite understanding of time. But do you know what time is? Time is just one of God's creations, just one of the things he created. We measure time by how the sun, excuse me, by how the earth spins and how it goes around the sun. As it spins, we measure that as one day. As it goes around the earth, we measure that as one year. But he is outside of all of that. He always was. Before time was, he was. Uh, beyond our comprehension. Wow. I mean, just amazing, right? Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things consist. Yeah, he's holding it all together. It's an incredible design. Verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church. Or in other words, he is the authority. That's what head means. He is the authority of the church. I find that so awe-inspiring. Billions of creatures on the earth. And Jesus says, oh, there's a particular treasure to me. We looked at it in the kingdom parables. There's a particular treasure to me. I would leave everything to redeem it, to buy it back, to get it for myself. It's the church. It's you. And I want to be the authority, the head. The, I'm, that, I'm that in love with the church. He calls it his bride. The most intimate form of language he can give us. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the authority of the church. Who is, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? The firstborn from the dead. There's that word firstborn again. And that's what it means in, in that uh, earlier verse that we looked at. The firstborn always refers to Jesus as the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. This God who created everything became a man. And he did so for the purpose of buying you back, of Fixing our, your problem. What was our problem? Well, our problem was sin. It separated us from God. And Jesus became a man. And he lived every day of his life as a regular man. Not using any of his divine powers for his own, his own life. Uh, just lived every day just like you and me. Had to face all the same hassles you and I have to face. And he did that for 30 years. Never once using any divine power. And then he started his ministry and he never uses divine power for himself. He only used it for others to serve others and to do the will of God. And then he went to a cross and he took the punishment of our sin upon his own back. God became a man, took the punishment of our sin on himself that we could have his righteousness given to us as a free gift. That is the great exchange. That is the gospel. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness freely to all who come to him. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. He was killed on the feast of Passover. Three days later was the feast of first fruits. And he was the first fruits of those who died. The first one who resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15 makes it clear. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And that's what it means here. He's the firstborn from the dead. The first one that died and got a glorified body. And you know what that means? All of us will die and get a glorified body if we are in Christ. He's associating with us and he says, I am the first one of many who will get a resurrected body. Just fantastic news. This is Jesus, right? This is who he is. 
He's the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, that he might have the highest position, the King of kings, the glory of glory. He is the creator. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness? Circle all the fullness. What does it mean all the fullness should dwell? Here's what it means. It pleased God that in the person of Jesus, get this, it's amazing, all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell in him. The fullness of God the Father, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and the fullness of the Son all dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Dave, how do you know that? Because of context. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, it's there. Uh, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him, Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a human body. And you are complete in him who is the head, who is the authority of all principalities and powers. This is who the real Jesus is. Oh my gosh. I can have great compassion for his hometown who had a hard time seeing and understanding that he was all these things. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 1. And where do we leave off there? Uh, um, Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness, that the fullness of the Godhead should dwell in Him and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. What does that mean, reconcile all things to Himself? Reconcile means restore to fellowship, restore to friendship. What does it mean that He reconciles all things? What are all things? What are they? What What does that mean? I'm asking, I want you to answer. What does all things mean? Everything, okay, but what are those everythings? What are all things? People, what kind of people? Jews and Gentiles. He wants to reconcile all to himself. Not only that, but angels, principalities, powers. What's that? God wants to bring the whole kingdom under Jesus' authority, bring all things. He's going to reconcile all things to himself. Look what he goes on to say. Look at this. Verse 20. And by him, that's by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, or in other words, by himself alone, nobody else doing it, all done by Jesus. Look at this. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, he has made peace through the blood of his cross. He made peace with us, with God, by the blood of His cross, by His sacrificial, atoning death. And look at this, verse 21. And you, who were once alienated, that's alienated from God, and were enemies, that's an enemy from God. What's that? Yeah, we were like our own little God saying, I'm not going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to sleep with who I want to sleep. I'm going to... Take what I want to take. I'm going to lie if I want to lie. I'm going to cheat if I want to cheat. I'm going to steal if I want to steal. I'm in control here. We were enemies to God. We were alienated from God. And you, verse 21, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind, that's your thought process, and by your wicked works, that's our actions. Yet now he has reconciled to God. In the body of his flesh, through death, for this reason, to present you, say this word with me, to present you holy. Oh, if we only could begin to fathom the magnitude of that word. That's not just a nice little filler word to put in there. This is Jesus' work. He wants to make you holy. There's only one who is holy, and that's God. And he wants to give you the righteousness of God imparted to you amazing amazing that he might present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight if you continue in faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel 
His righteousness given to us. Not moved away from that. Not trying to earn it ourselves. Just not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Which you heard was preached to every creature under heaven. Of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is who Jesus is. Do you know him? This is who he is. Other religions do not teach this about Jesus. Do not believe this about Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He is doing a work. And he wants to include you in it. And uh, it's an amazing, amazing journey. Let's go back to Matthew. And here's what was happening. The people in his hometown, the people of Nazareth, they did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe he was all these things that we just read, that he was God in the flesh. And they did not believe these things because their preconceived beliefs about Jesus hindered their faith in Jesus. And we need to make sure that doesn't happen to us. Oh, we need to be coming to Jesus ever learning, ever growing, ever increasing in our understanding. Do you know this church? Listen to me a second. Eyes up here. Following Jesus is your highest calling in life. You might become the CEO of Apple and it will pale in comparison to the call of following Jesus. Man's kingdoms will crumble just like Rome long ago, right? It just, they fade away. The new thing comes, the old thing goes. But those who make Jesus Lord and follow Him, oh, it's the greatest privilege. How well do you know Him? And are you growing? And here's the, here's the next point that I want to bring, bring to you. We know the real Jesus by studying God's Word and obeying God's Word. That's how we know the real Jesus. And there is no other way. Romans makes it very clear, the book of Romans, faith comes by understanding, and understanding comes by the Word of God. Faith comes by understanding all that God has for you, who Jesus really is, and that understanding can only come from the Word of God. Jesus said the same thing. John 14, 21, Jesus said, He who knows and has my commandments, he is the one that loves me. And he that loves me will be loved of my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you can only know me through my word. Through my word. This is how we know God. The reason that we have Hollywood Jesus and all these different Jesus and prosperity Jesus and all these different ideas. Oh, Jesus just wants you to love, 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 love. Miss America, love, 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 love. The reason we have all these different Jesuses is because we're not reading our Bibles. And the only way we can know the real Jesus is by studying and obeying God's Word. In John 1, the Bible makes it clear. In the beginning was the Word. The Word of God. It was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was nothing made that was made. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. This is who He is. And the only way we can really know Him is by studying and by obeying God's Word. Jesus taught this over and over and over again. There was one day Jesus was teaching a group just like this. And a woman in the back row yells out. His teaching was so profound, right? And the woman in the back row yells out, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And blessed are the, the breasts that nurse you. And look what Jesus replied to that. Verse 28 on your screens. Look what Jesus said. Jesus replied. Read this with me out loud. Everybody a thundering voice. Jesus replied. But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Wow. Some of you might have a faith that elevates Mary too highly. 
makes her actually a co-redemptrix, you actually pray to Mary, I'm not picking on any faith, I'm just saying you don't know the real Jesus as well as you should, because here's what he said, even more blessed than Mary are those who what? Hear my word and put it into practice. That's the way you'll really know who I am. And I mean no offense to anyone here. That's not my point. My point is simply this. We know the real Jesus by studying and obeying His Word. And now something very interesting happens to this little hometown of Nazareth because they don't see Jesus as He really is. Look what happens. Let's go back to Matthew. And I want to read one verse in Matthew. Verse 58. Will you read this with me out loud together? Matthew 13, 58. Now he did not do... I can't hear you. Let me read with me. Read with me. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Who's the he? Jesus. Jesus did not do many mighty works there. Let's say that again. Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Here's my question to you. Why? Why not? Why didn't he? Why didn't he do mighty works in his hometown? Why? Why? There are hyper-charismatic false teachers who love to abuse and misuse this verse. They give their dramatic performances, their dog and pony theatrics. Oh, they have all this smoke and mirrors and the music and the motivational and the inspirational and the... And then they get people falling over backwards and they get people shaking and quaking and they get people speaking in tongues. And then they do their healings and... And if you don't fall over backwards or if you don't get healed, they use this verse and they say, well, the reason that didn't happen for you is because you don't have enough faith. And I want you to know, nothing could be further from the truth. And that is cruel and false teaching. I have a cousin, her name is Sherry, and when she was a very young woman in her 20s, young 20s, uh, she had two young daughters and she had a brain aneurysm and it burst and it left her severely disabled in a wheelchair can't even feed herself lost the majority of her speech and we weren't raised in a religious family uh, didn't know Jesus but she heard about Jesus and she heard that there was this healing services from this guy named Benny Hinn a false teacher a worker of the devil And she goes to this Benny Hinn service to hear about Jesus and to have Jesus heal her. And she goes repeatedly. And you know what happens? They take her in and instead of having her be one of the ones they bring up front during the healing service, they bring all the counterfeiters up front and they wheel her off into a back room. And they pray for her in the back room instead of praying for her up front. Because why? Because they can't heal her. They can only do the dog and pony show. And so they pray for her to be healed. And when she's not healed, guess what they tell her? You don't have enough faith. And I want you to know that is downright diabolical. I have really good news for you. Really good news for you. Jesus' power is not limited to the quantity or the, to the quality of our faith. His power to do a mighty work in our life is not limited to the quantity or the quality of our faith. Isn't that good news? And you say, well, it's good news, but I don't know if I believe it. Well, fair enough. Let me show you a couple scriptures. I want you to know that Jesus regularly and frequently did miracles for people who had absolutely no faith. 
and let me show you. Here's a couple spots. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 8. Back just a couple chapters. And we're going to pick it up at verse 23. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Are you there? Here's what it says. Now when he, that's Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose, a big huge storm on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he, he Jesus, was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. Or in other words, dude, don't you even care? We're about ready to capsize here. I imagine at this point, for them to be this panicking, the boat is probably taking on a ton of water, and they're probably close to sinking. And they're totally afraid, right? Jesus is asleep. Don't you care that we're perishing? They wake him up. Verse 26. But he, that's Jesus, said to them, Why are you fearful? Or in other words, why are you afraid? And look at these words. O you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obeys him? How much faith did the disciples have in that storm? None. And Jesus did a mighty work anyway. Jesus' power is not limited by the quantity or the quality of our faith. And anybody who tells you otherwise has not read the Gospels accurately. Jesus often uses miracles to grow our faith that is really weak and anemic. But he's not limited by our lack of faith. Here's another verse for you, Matthew 14. And I could give you scores, but here's another one that shows this. Matthew 14, we'll go to verse 31. Matthew 14, verse 31. Let me kind of set the, sta the, the stage as you're turning there. <clears throat> the disciples are once again out on the, in a boat, and there's a pretty good storm. They're not panicking. They're not afraid. But there's a good storm going on. And uh, Jesus isn't with them. And it's the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, suddenly they see a dude walking on water, just cruising by. Guess who it is? What the heck? Look, look, look at that. Who is that? That's Jesus. And Peter gets all excited. And he goes, Jesus, if that's you, call me out to walk on the water with you. And Jesus says, come on. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he actually starts walking on water. But then something happens. What happens? Peter sees the storm. I mean, there's waves, right? Splash in the face. You ever been splashed in the face by a wave? Uh, that'll wake you up. And there's wind and there's rain and it's hitting him in the face. And G uh, Peter, he takes his eyes, what? Off of Jesus and he starts focusing on the storm. And the moment that he starts focusing on the storm, he sinks all the way into the water. Now he's dog paddling. And look what happens. Verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, O you of what? Little faith. Why did you doubt? And Jesus picks him up. He doesn't say, okay, now you've got to swim back to the boat yourself. Good luck. All the ways. Good luck. No, he picks him up. And look at this. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Wow, who is this guy? He even commands nature, right? Just amazing. What's going on? Here's what's going on. Jesus' power is not limited by the quantity of our faith or by the quality of our faith. Now, there are times in the Scripture, occasionally, that Jesus did a miracle in direct response to a person's faith. But most of the time, Jesus did miracles in the Bible. The people were faithless. When the disciples had been fishing all night long and caught absolutely nothing, and Jesus comes out the next morning and says, Hey guys, what's going on? Oh, been up all night fishing. Oh, what'd you catch? Nothing. Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, take your boat and go back in the water and put your net out. 
And Peter goes, are you kidding me? I mean, it takes a while to clean everything up. I just got everything cleaned up. Peter, take your boat, go back into the water and put the net down. Jesus, I'm a fisherman, man. I'm a fisherman. Peter, get your net, take your boat and just try it. Go back out in the water. All right. He does it with a half-hearted attitude, I would imagine. And he goes back out and somewhat half-heartedly, kind of like a teenager making a bed, pulling the covers up, kind of, you know, he throws the net out. And the boat was filled with fish. Was that because Peter had so much faith? Not at all. As a matter of fact, Peter comes back in and he tells Jesus these words, depart from me. I am not worthy to be in your presence. Because he was so aware of what all his thoughts were. And over and over I could go, right? We could speak of Lazarus who died and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were so mad at him for not healing him. They were irritated and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead anyway. We could talk about the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus had been teaching all day long and the disciples said, Lord, it's getting late, man. Send them away. I'm tired. We've been working all day. I mean, we had to set up chairs. We had to take down chairs. We got services. We got speakers. We got all this stuff. I'm tired. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't send them away. Give them something to eat. We don't have anything. Lord, I got 20 bucks in my pocket. I got five fish. I mean, five loaves and two little fish. What is that among so many? And Jesus said, where's your faith? And he fed all 5,000. Was it because their faith was so good? No, it was because they didn't have any faith. It was to increase their faith. And Jesus often did miracles to people who were faithless. And here's why. Because Jesus' power is not limited by the quantity or the quality of our faith. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That is good news. Faith is not measured by quantity of our belief. That is a pagan teaching. That is positive thinking. You can find that at a self-help book at Barnes & Noble. Well, just believe. Just believe you're going to be the manager. Just believe you're going to be the manager. Just believe. Just believe you're going to close the deal. Believe, believe, believe. And we take that into our Christianity as if we have to believe it into existence. That is pagan theology. Faith is not measured by the quantity of our belief. Faith is measured by our knowledge of the character of God. Do you understand? Faith is measured by our knowledge of the character of God. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I have a verse on the screen that will show you, that will hopefully will make it more clear uh, Matthew 6:28 on your screens. Let me hear you read this, church. Why do you worry about food and I can't hear you. Why do you worry about food and clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In other words, faith isn't measured by the quantity of our just saying, oh, just watchful thinking, positive thinking. I believe, I believe, I believe. Faith is measured by knowing the character of God. And here's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Listen, if you knew how God loves you, look at the beauty of a rose garden. Look at the beauty of a mountainside. Look at the beauty of a sunset that only lasts for a few moments. If God does that, will he not much more take care of you? Consider his character and you won't be worried about food and clothing. Faith isn't, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. Faith is saying, oh, I know who I believe. He's amazing. Big difference. Big difference. Does that make sense? And it's so important that we grasp that. I want to wrap things up and begin to wrap things up with this. 
Jesus was not unable to do mighty works because of their unbelief. He was unwilling to do mighty works because of their unbelief. Big difference. Big, huge difference. And you say, why? Why was he unwilling? Oh, he was more than able. He wasn't hindered by their lack of faith. Oh, you guys don't believe in me? I guess I can't do anything. Nothing could be further from the truth. I am pretty sure Lazarus didn't have a lot of faith when he was raised from the dead. I'm pretty sure he was dead. And it wasn't his faith that raised him. Jesus was not unable to do mighty works. He was unwilling. Here's the question. Why was he unwilling? Why was he unwilling? Why was he unwilling to do mighty works for those holding wrong beliefs about him? Here's why. Because if he did, the, if he did those mighty works with those who held wrong beliefs about him, their wrong beliefs would grow perpetually worse. And so in order for Jesus to do mighty works in our midst, we have to be on his program. Otherwise, we would get worse and worse and worse. Let me illustrate it for you. Watch this. This is a touchscreen TV. And uh, we can change the, the channel, right? But here's the problem. Wrong beliefs perpetuate bad behavior. This is a touchscreen TV. But wrong beliefs perpetuate bad behavior. You say, Dave, have you lost your mind? Maybe. And here's what I'm saying. This isn't a touchscreen TV. But if I kept doing that and it kept working, you would begin to believe that that's the way that it really is. And this is not a touchscreen TV. Does that make sense? Wrong beliefs perpetuate wrong behavior and Jesus wouldn't do many mighty works there because if he did it would have damaged them and they would have grown perpetually worse those in Jesus hometown were on the wrong track and Jesus says I'm not going to work with you here right and so we have to be abiding in Christ not because he only blesses if you have mighty faith. No, that's not it at all. It's so that we can be on the right path. You see, here's what I know for us. Like those in Jesus' hometown, some of us are so set in our ways with God that we're not growing in our relationship with Jesus. You haven't grown in two years in your relationship with Jesus because you're content with how much you know about Jesus. Well, I know him as the guy who grew up here, and I knew him. I go to church every Sunday, and I know these things, and yeah, yeah, I read that before, and I, I'm content with how much I have. Oh, that's a problem. That's a problem. Because Jesus wants to take us into deeper waters. He wants to take us into new territories. He wants to expand your borders. And oh, what would happen if we would really embrace what he was trying to reveal of himself to us today? You see, he's trying to show himself to Hannah in a very unique way right now. And he's trying to show himself to Ram in a very unique way right now. And he's trying to show himself to Ron in a very unique way right now. And each one is different. And he's taking us all into a deeper level. But if we are content with what we know of Jesus, we won't go any further and there won't be any mighty works in our life. Is your life stagnant in your walk with God? Are you on fire for the kingdom? Is he using you in supernatural ways? Are big things happening? You might be a little too complacent with your Jesus. Last point I want to bring with you is this. This is just another really encouraging point. We don't have to have great faith to see Jesus do mighty works. We just have to let him lead. We don't have to have great faith to see Jesus do mighty works. You don't have to be some uh, monk who climbed the mountains of Tibet on your knees by fasting 45 hours a day. Uh, no, you just have to let Jesus lead you. And you will see mighty, mighty works. Jesus does not move mountains for us because we have a lot of faith. Jesus moves mountains for us because he's good. Because he's gracious. 
because he's a good father, because he's a savior, because he's trying to take us to new plateaus. Jesus moves mountains for us because he's amazing. He moves mountains because he knows it'll help us grow in our relationship with him. He moves mountains for us because he wants us to thrive both both physically and spiritually. I can tell you it isn't determined on how great your faith is because Jesus said if you had the faith as small as a mustard seed you would say to this mountain be cast into the ocean and it would be done for you. It's not the greatness of your faith. It's the greatness of your God. And if we would just let him lead, he will move giant mountains in our life. Can I tell you something? I've watched him do it. And I don't say this to boast. I only tell you this to say, I am eating the very things I'm selling to you. I'm preparing for you, right? I have to eat the same diet you have to eat. I have watched Jesus move mighty mountains. And you say, like what, David? Like what? Well, how about this one? I've been married 33 or 34 years. (laughs) And I grew up in a house where I hated marriage. My mom married five or six times. I can't remember. Um, I had men in and out of my life like a revolving door. And I wanted nothing to do with marriage. Jesus took me and he removed that mountain in my life. And now I think marriage is amazing. And I try to help all kinds of young people have amazing marriages. How about another mountain he moved in my life? I am a prideful, stubborn man. And he has moved that mountain in my life. Not completely, but he has moved a lot of it. And he's changed me from the inside out. Oh, how about another one? Oh, I had a son who almost lost his life. He had brain damage on all four quadrants of his brain from such a traumatic head injury. Uh, Completely crushed his skull open. They had to put a titanium plate this big in to cover the crushed skull. And I watched God resurrect him and bring him back to life with no issues whatsoever. How about this mountain? We were a church. I was a pastor at a school and we had no place to go. We were kicked out of the school and God opened up this building for us in the last moment. And then they said, you'll never ever buy it. You'll never ever own it. And we don't want to sell it to you. And then they came to us two years later and said, we'd like to sell you the building. I mean, God just moves mountains. I could go on and on and on. And I'm not boasting to say like, I do it anything great because we don't have to have giant faith to see Jesus' mighty works. We just have to follow him and obey him. These are his good works that he wants to do because of his good name, because of his good pleasure to bring you the kingdom. This is his will. This is his glory. This is our God. His name's Jesus. He's awesome. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I want to close with this. May we humble ourselves and put away the false notions we have about Jesus. And may we really let him lead us so that we might experience his mighty works. I want you to know if you have an illness that Jesus did not heal, it's not because you're weak in faith. And if you have an illness that Jesus did heal, it's not because you're so spiritual. On both accounts, it's because God is doing a work that is different than what you would ever know. He's good, and he's using all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so may we become humble learners. May we be teachable. May we follow Jesus as the Lord of our entire life, not just the Lord of our church service, but the Lord of our entire life. So that when we're out on the racetrack, racing our old Yamaha 400 or whatever, well, when we're out on the football field or on the golf course or in the waves or at the, at the staff meeting, hey, we're letting Jesus be the Lord of our life. This is who he is. Last thing I'll give you is this. Even in our failures, Jesus is working. Jesus' family did not recognize him, did not understand who he really was. His brothers taunted him. 
until they saw his death and resurrection. And when they saw him physically rise from the grave, they said, oh shoot, I guess I should have listened to him. And they repented and they changed their way. And you know what happened? Jesus moved a mountain of blindness in their life and he removed it. And James, the one who taunted him all the time, became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And Judas, the one who hassled him and said, who do you think you are, repented. And he wrote the book of Jude in your Bible. Jesus moves mountains, even for his enemies, that they might become his friends. And he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies that we might watch his reconciliation work all around us. You have a great God. He's amazing. This week, shall we worship him with all of our life? To the glory and praise of Jesus. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.